A few years ago, the journalist and author Oliver Berkman asked a few of his friends this question. How many weeks are there in an average person's life? Most of the answers given were in the six-figure range. But it's actually far less. Berkman says this of the human lifespan. It's absurdly, terrifyingly, insultingly short. 4,000 weeks is the title of his new book. And that's how much time you have if you live to be 80. Just 4,000 weeks. Even those who live to be 100 only get 5,200 weeks. That's math simple enough I can do. But Berkman says the normal response in our society and culture to realizing the brevity of life is to emphasize time management in order to uh, cram as much as we can into it, right? To develop strategies and processes. But this focus on efficiency and productivity, he says, that's driving so much can leave us frustrated and empty, overburdened and depleted. He says the answer actually is a shift in our inner perspective. It's acknowledging that we are finite, limited creatures, not able to do everything we want or everything others want us to do. The advantage, he claims, is is that this realization, this acknowledgement will help us to know what to do and what to neglect. If we can't do everything, then what do we do? Berkman is pushing against a culture that demands humans measure their value by what they produce. How much of it and how much time. He's actually talking about living wisely, humbly, for the 4,000 weeks that some of us may get to see. This is the posture of Solomon in his request of God, to have wisdom rather than wealth and power. It was a countercultural prayer. We only hope that our leaders would seek the same. Now, (laughs) this has not been a normal week for me. Uh, Maybe you know that. So it's not a normal sermon. Um, And some of you know that uh, my mom passed away on Thursday. And she has been going, she's been leaving us for a long time. You know, she had dementia, but, and I had a wonderful time with her just about 10 days ago. And she was good. So when she started to decline, it went, it went kind of quickly. So I'm sort of all over the place, right? And I apologize in advance that the sermon will be shorter than normal, though most folks don't usually complain about that, right? Um, but it also may ramble some. I'm going to try to avoid that. This, this theme of recognizing our limitations with humility, it just dovetails so well with what I've been dealing with this week. But it's not just because of this week. It's something I've been working through even on sabbatical. And of course, it taps into the larger issues of our world over the last 18 months. Our world's a different place. What will it be? Will we emerge? And what will it be when we emerge? So you already heard the wonderful uh, sort of laying out the story that Stephanie did. I really appreciate that of, of Solomon following his father, David. David had ruled for 40 years, and it was a very mixed and complicated story, right? But but tradition, the biblical tradition, retains the greatness of David as a king in the main. He's the king that all others will look back to, and they'll measure themselves against. Andrew Peterson captures this in his song that our worship team uh, sings at Advent. 
And it says about David, will there ever be a king like this? Well, in a dream, God gives Solomon a choice. And you can understand Solomon thinking about the big shoes he has to fill. God says, ask me, whatever. Whatever you desire, here's a blank check. And we know the answer. We know what he says. Most rulers would choose success, power, wealth, the death of their enemies. Instead, Solomon declares his inadequacy. I'm just a little child, he says. I don't know how to lead, so give me a discerning heart. And God grants him that heart. Grants him great wisdom along with things he didn't ask for, wealth and honor. And Solomon, from that moment on, is marked as the greatest sage, right? The the wisest who ever lived. He started his reign well. He started as he meant to go on. Sadly, he didn't finish well. We might say wisdom failed him, or he failed wisdom. Yet, like his father, the biblical tradition honors him for his godly wisdom and for building the temple in Jerusalem. So what is this thing called wisdom? Pastor Dan Hanlon, in the recent book, Wise Church, says that at one level, it's a skill, at least the way the scriptures talk about it. It's a skill. Wisdom is the skill to do something well. You see it in artists, craftsmen, weavers, but also in leadership, the ability to carry out business. It's expertise. But wisdom is also the skill to live life well. And we find insights into living well in the wisdom literature of the Bible, especially the book of Proverbs. Wisdom is about how we live. It's not just lofty platitudes. Paul says to the Ephesians, be very careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. It means living mindfully, humbly, with compassion toward others and ourselves, seeking righteousness and justice recognizing our limitations, knowing we are finite, and trusting in God to lead and to guide. Now, wisdom, I think we think about it, is, can be very much related to time, right? Now, there are some young people who have wisdom. I mean, old souls, right? And there are some old fools. So, <laughs> you know, it's, a, it's not a guarantee. But generally, the more we live, the longer we live. Uh, we learn, hopefully, if we're curious and open, we learn what is the wise way, we learn what is the unwise way. That's why I'm so grateful in this community for those who have lived long and faithful lives. We have much to learn from you. But we don't go on forever. This month, August, marks 40 years in full-time ministry for me. And somebody, I said that to somebody, and they said, oh, well, may God, may God give you another 40 years. I said, you're not hearing me. I'm 61 years old. Um, first off, I don't have 40 years. And secondly, I don't want 40 years, okay? Sometimes you just have to know when, okay, it's time to, time to go. But anyway, we need to be honest about our limitations with ourselves and with others. And for Christians, when we start talking about wisdom, we know God is the source of that. And living wisely is related to a relationship with God that seeks to do God's will in God's way. And when we venture beyond that, 
We live our lives or carry out ministry in ways that, does not, that do not honor God's ways or our own limitations, and we can no longer claim wisdom or goodness. Well, Solomon recognized his limitations. I'm just a child, he said. I don't know how to sit on the throne and lead well. He knew the source of wisdom was God. His posture of prayer showed that. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people, to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? Maybe he was remembering Moses. (laughs) You know, the implication is only God is able to lead the people. But with God's wisdom, Solomon can lead it the best he can. If God came to us today, came to you today and said, ask me what you will. And I think the Spirit does that often for us. Then what will we ask for? Solomon cut across the grain of royal expectations by only requesting wisdom. Would we have similar counter-cultural requests of God? Or would we ask for the things that everybody else asks for? Our theology is reflected in our prayers. What we believe is how we pray. So what are we asking of God? And is it in keeping with wisdom and discernment? During my sabbatical time, a couple of months, I worked through uh, several books. And some was just easy reading and kind of fun reading. But there was one book by Wayne Muller entitled, How Then Shall We Live? And there are four questions in the book. The first is, who am I? Who am I? And that's not something you just say, oh, here's who I am. It's a process. It's a process to walk, and he gives some instruction for that. The second question is, what do I love? The third is, how will I live knowing that I will die? And fourth is, what is my gift for the people of the earth? You know, we have a very odd, uh, strange relationship with death, don't we? We sort of act like it doesn't happen, or it's not going to happen to us. We just don't think about it. But it's something we all will experience. Our families will experience. They'll have to walk through the times of saying goodbye and to, deal, and to do with all of that, which we're in the process of doing right now. But if we could get honest with ourselves and with God and say, you know what, I am not going to be around forever, so how should I live? How do I want to live knowing that? Does it make a difference? If you said, oh, I, I don't have a thousand weeks, this is your last week. Would that make a difference in what you do? Or me? This process of the book, it, it recognizes the gifts that God gives. It also recognizes limitations. It looks forward, certainly, and it gives perspective. And I would commend it to you. If you find the book, I just want you to know that he's a Christian pastor, but he's also drawing from other religious traditions, so just know that. What would a process like this look, what would it look like for the church to do this? In other words, what are we asking of God? What are our prayers as a church? Is God pleased with the prayers that we, that we offer? Does he say to us, good answer? 
(laughs) You know, we did this a number of years ago as a church. We walked through a process of discernment, listening carefully, and we came up with the things that we really felt these are these are kind of our core identity things. Worship, community, healing, global relationships, which now I think we should call relationships of solidarity because we, we're seeking to develop relationships that aren't just somewhere else in the world. And you know what? That's really been guiding for us. It was helpful. It was very helpful to set aside everything else. To say, oh, well, yeah, other churches do this, 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 this. This is us. This is what we are called to be and to do. Is it still the heart of our identity? I suspect it is. But what might be new and fresh right now? What will we ask of God post-pandemic? What do we ask of God now that we have a building and a facility? And we did this process. We were still on Deerfield Road at the Lutheran Church. What difference does that make about how we pray? the things that we ask of God? And what do we ask in specific ways now that we're located within a particular community? What are we asking of God, and what is God asking of us? We have limitations. That's part of wisdom, acknowledging that. But also, part of wisdom is acknowledging that God does not have limitations. And our lives are marked by wisdom when we lean on God. We seek to know him. Eugene Peterson described this process of discerning like this. He says it requires an active participation in following Jesus as he leads us through sometimes strange and unfamiliar territory in circumstances that become clear only in the hesitations and the questionings, in the pauses and reflections, where we engage in prayerful conversation with one another and with him. That's walking together wisely. What are you asking of God today? Is it wise? Does it honor your limitations as a human being while at the same time acknowledging that God is not limited? Is it humble or proud? Will it honor the importance of Sabbath rest in your life? Does what we are asking serve others more than ourselves? Does it lead to peace and justice? What is God asking of you, of us? You know, it's important for me to be here today with you all. I had a couple of people say, oh, we thought you wouldn't be here. I'm like, well, where am I going to go? <laughs> this is, you're my family. And so it's been good to just <clears throat> have this time to worship with you so far in the service. It's been good to play the piano this morning, um, not lead, just follow Curtis's wonderful lead, but play. My mother was a church pianist her whole life. And the piano I have at home was her piano. She, she and my dad met at a Youth for Christ rally of a number of churches that came together. She was the pianist. He was the song leader. Sound familiar? Yeah. So he went there. He'd never met, <clears throat> you know. And, and uh, so he told her what he wanted and how he wanted it done. You know, he was going to lead all this. And I said, Mom, what did you think? Was it love at first sight? She said, I thought he was rather full of himself, which kind of what Susan said after she met me, I think. But I think, you know, I just want to share that with you so you have a little bit of understanding of my own journey 
in uh, leading and in doing music in the church. It was all around us all the time. And my parents were very involved in global mission. And my mom mentored young women. I, <laughs> it's kind of the, the trajectory of my own ministry, right? So it's good. I figure that if I live to be 80, I have 1,000 weeks left. I've already lived 3,000. How will I live the remaining days? How will you? Amen.